series that we started last week called uh, Surprise the World. Anybody like surprises? How many of you like it when somebody jumps out at you, though? You don't like that kind of surprise, do you? <laughs> Me neither. I hate it. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I, I do like surprises, though. If you, were, if you bring me something or whatever, or you know, those are nice surprises, right? Those are good surprises. We like surprises. But we've been talking about surprising the world. And last week, we, we, we began this series, and, and I challenged you to bless three people. How many of that? How many of y'all would say, hey, I did that, you know, and, and uh, yeah, you know, and so just sending out a message or, or maybe you gave somebody a gift or, or maybe you did some kind of act of kindness, and, uh, and so let me encourage you to don't just stop with this week, do it again, do it again, keep doing it, keep blessing, keep blessing people, find three more, some of you probably bless people and you may not even thought about it as a blessing, Right? Because we do things just because that's our nature. That's who we are. That's who God made us to be. And so maybe you just blessed some people and you didn't even know that you were blessing people. I want you to think about what you're doing maybe. Maybe God's going to give you three more different people this week for you to bless. But today I want to give you another way that you can live a life that will make people want to ask you questions about why you act the way you do. And I've entitled this message, Changing the World One Meal at a Time. That's a pretty good deal, right? Changing the World One Meal at a Time. And I believe that we can use the table to reach people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, many of you are familiar with the first miracle that Jesus ever performed, and that miracle is found in John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me and I want to read beginning at verse 1. John chapter 2, begin reading at verse 1. This is the only place in scriptures that this miracle is recorded. And uh, some people have said, when I was studying and reading, some people had said that not all of the disciples were actually with Jesus just yet. He was, this was at the beginning of his ministry. He was just starting to, to get some of his disciples gathered together. So we know there were disciples there, but some of them said that maybe not all the disciples were there. I mean, Matthew, we know that it was later on that Jesus would uh, ask him to come. Uh, so, you know, Matthew didn't record this. Luke was a physician. Mark was Peter's telling. We assume that Peter was there, but uh, we don't know 100% for sure. Uh, but let's look at this. John chapter 2, verse 1, and it reads this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also invited, uh, had been invited uh, to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Everybody say, oh no. <laughs> Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. 
And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to give you just a little bit of insight into a wedding during Jesus' time. When a man's daughter was born, at first he would kind of be disappointed. Great, a daughter. <laughs> I've had two. I stopped. <laughs> you know why? I didn't want another girl. Not that I don't love my girls, but man, there's a lot of maintenance there, okay? Uh, I got three women in the house. That's all I need in the house. And I love every bit of, I love every one of them. But that's all I need, amen? And, and uh, so let me tell you something. I love my daughters. But I'm not looking forward to all these expenses that are going to be coming someday. You know what I mean? They've already had expenses, and I know there's still more expenses to come. But see, you've got to understand, a man's daughter was born. At first, he would be disappointed because he would need a son to carry on the family name. But after that, he would begin preparing for his daughter's wedding. Each year on her birthday... He would take a barrel of the homemade wine, and it, it wasn't very good. It, it actually would taste a lot like vinegar. But he would set it aside, and by the time the wedding came, that first barrel would be the best because it had sat there for years, and each year he would put a barrel aside. And so by the time of her wedding, at either the age of, of 13 or 14 or 16 or however old she was, uh, that's, that, that wine would be set aside for the wedding feast. Now, a wedding at Canaan would be a big party. It would be a big feast. Everyone in town would be invited to celebrate the wedding of this man's daughter. And if this man ran out of wine at the wedding, it would be a huge embarrassment. So as the story goes, we know that Jesus was there, some of his disciples were there, his mother was there, and they were all at this wedding, they were all at this celebration. Now, John doesn't take the time to list who the wedding is for, but he focuses on what Jesus is going to do. And that's what I want us to focus on. I want us to understand that it's important what Jesus does here. And when they run out of wine, Mary turns to her son and she asks, him, hey, you need to do something. <laughs> you ever had your parent come up to you and say, hey, you need to do this. What do you do? You do it usually, right? You know? And, and so you can only imagine, but Jesus, he's like, now wait a second. My time has not come just yet. You notice Mary just kind of ignores him a little bit and just says, hey, y'all do what he tells you to do. She knew that there was something special about her son. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had spoken to her. The angel had told her, you remember before he was born, 
They had told her, this is, this is not just an ordinary child. She knew there was something about Jesus. She knew there was something great and amazing about Jesus. And she knew that if anybody could solve the problem, it was Jesus, right? I mean, do you think she ever took advantage of that? Hey, I'm needing some flour. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, he, he probably like, hey, mom, cut it out. You know, <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is not fun and games. This is, this is going about my father's business, you know. Uh, but here it was, uh, she had complete, total trust in her son. She knew what he could do. And Jesus lets his mother know that his life was following a different timetable. He lived to carry out his father's business according to his father's plan. But Mary turns and she tells the, disciple, or tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he says. So here Jesus is. He's at this home. It's a, it's a normal Jewish home. And he looks over in the corner and he finds these pots. These stone water pots. It says there were six of them. And these pots were used. They were purification pots. So basically what they would do is they would go when they would, they touched the dead body or they had touched a leper or it was uh, during a, a woman's uh, menstrual cycle. They would have to go and they would have to purify themselves. They would have to go and they would have to get clean and they would take the, from these pots and they would wash themselves so that they could go through this purification process. A ceremonial washing. And the reason why they did that is because they would be cut off from the sanctuary, they would be cut off from the festivals, and they would have to be restored to the enjoyment of all these privileges. And the only way that they could do that was through those pots. But you would be considered unclean if you did these things. And they would use these jars of water to purify themselves so that they could continue to be a part of society. But notice that verse 7 says this. So they filled them to the brim. Now, what's, what is that for? You see, I believe that this was to show that nothing was added to the water to make the wine. There's an, it's important to understand there was no more room in these water jugs. I can almost imagine that as they're bringing these water jugs back, you know how you carry something with water and it's really full and it starts sloshing everywhere? I mean, think about that. These things held 20 to 30 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. You ever filled up a five-gallon bucket? That's a lot of water, isn't it? A five-gallon bucket, can you just imagine what that's like? You're carrying this bucket across. What does it do? It's sloshing everywhere, right? So don't you think that these 20 to 30 gallons uh, pots that were being filled, these purification pots, don't you think that if they were filled as they're carrying them, don't you think the water's sloshing? B- because it, they filled them up to the brim. They made them as full as they could possibly make them. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus completely turned each one of these six stone water pots with 20 to 30 gallons of water into the best wine available for the entire wedding ceremony. There was no setting this wine aside for 16 or so years. There was no fermenting process. It was the best, most delicious wine that had been served at the party. And what normally would have been the worst wine was now the best, and it was served last. You see, what would happen is these these uh, barrels of wine that be set aside for this wedding feast, well, 
the one that was the oldest, the 16 years, they would always serve that one first because that was the best. And by the time they got to the last one, the people were usually pretty intoxicated by the time they got to it. And it pretty much just tastes like vinegar, so they couldn't tell the difference anyway. But that's what had happened. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus took that water and he made it the absolute best wine that there possibly could be. It was perfect. It was wonderful. It was great. It was the most magnificent that there was. But Jesus begins his ministry at a wedding celebration. And some people think of Jesus as a stuffy shirt man, right? that always clashed with the religious leaders of his day. But, you know, I can look all throughout the Scriptures, and I can see that Jesus is all about being involved and entertaining. He's all about fellowshipping with people. He's all about spending time around the table. You know, take a look at another party Jesus attended. It was at Matthew's house, and this was just after Matthew was called to be the disciple of Jesus. It's, it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 13, and it's while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, and there was a bunch of tax collectors there and sinners. They came, and they ate with him. They ate with the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they began to ask some questions. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They asked that. They asked that question to the disciples. And on hearing this, Jesus overheard them saying this, and he says, hey, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's pretty good, isn't it? But if you, and he says, go and learn what this means. He tells them, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. You see, a few chapters later, we see Jesus teaching on the hillside in front of 5,000 people. And the sermon gets long. You ever sat there in service and, and thought, man, when's this service ever going to get done? You know, and maybe you're sitting there and you hear your stomach go, this was kind of one of those moments in, in time. I know y'all don't do that here because I don't preach that long, right? Uh, so y'all probably aren't very hungry. Y'all's probably like, man, that was, that was quick. Uh, but here they were. They were all listening to Jesus. Jesus was teaching on the hillside. The people were out there teaching. And they all started you know, getting late. And it was kind of probably getting dark. And, and the disciples were like, hey, uh, Master, it's getting late. You know, we need to send these people home. They need to go, get some, go into town and find something to eat. And Jesus just turns to them and says, why don't you feed them? And they're like, uh, how are we going to do this? And he's like, well, don't you have something? And they go, well, we got two fish, five loaves of bread. And he's like, all right, give it to them. So they brought it to Jesus. He blessed it. And they started breaking it and giving it. And they ended up feeding all. And they even had baskets left over. It's a pretty amazing sight. So I, see, I, I, I believe that that Jesus was all about feeding people. And, and there, it's amazing what Jesus did around the table when there was food, right? And then in John, we see when Jesus was invited to Simon's house for a meal. It's in John chapter 12. And it was before the Passover... Jesus had come, it was in this town of Bethany, and it, this was where Lazarus lived. Maybe some of y'all remember Lazarus. Lazarus was the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given to, in Jesus' honor, and, and Martha, she was the type that was a server, you know, and she was serving, that was Lazarus' sister. Mary, uh, Lazarus' other sister was there, 
And, and they were all just kind of sitting around. And Mary comes in and she takes about a pint of what they call pure nard, an expensive perfume. And she pours it on Jesus' feet and she wipes his feet with her hair. And the house, it, it just, I mean, it fills with this fragrance, this beautiful perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas, he was the guy that would eventually betray Jesus. And he objects. He says, hey, couldn't we have sold this perfume this, for the, and taken the money and given it to the poor? Because it was very expensive. It was very valuable. And, and, you know, Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You know, I can show you example after example of the times that Jesus ate with people. And while he was eating, he found opportunities to minister to those around him. The table was a common place for ministry. You can look all throughout the Gospels. I believe that each of us here today could use your table to break down the walls that separate people in our society. Surprise the world to to who you invite to share your table with. And I believe that if you will plan right, you can use the table to stir interesting conversations. You see, when we eat with one another... We are fostering community. We are creating that community. Sometimes in our churches, we get stuck eating and fellowshipping with the same people all the time. We become victims of the holy huddle, right? We only invite Christians to our tables because we feel more comfortable with them. But I believe that Jesus fosters community with unbelievers as well, amen? And in Jesus' time, a person would never eat with someone of a different social standing. And and they certainly would never with someone of a different religion. You would never see a Jew eating at the table of the Gentiles. But what does Jesus do? Jesus turns this on its head. You see, he ate with them first and he asked repentance of them later. I remember the story of Zacchaeus found in Luke chapter 19. Jesus was entering Jericho. He was just passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was very wealthy. And he was very hated. But he wanted to see who this Jesus was. He wanted to see him so bad. And because he was short, he had trouble just looking over the crowds. So what does he do? He he runs ahead. He climbs up in a tree called a sycamore tree. And he heard that Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I'm going to your house today. I'm going to your house to eat with you today. Can you imagine Zacchaeus' surprise? Because you see, he was hated. He was hated. He was a tax collector. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. They were hated because they were cheating the government. They were liars. They were just awful, awful people. Matter of fact, on the scale of society, uh, the only thing that might have been, uh, there, I, I don't think there was anything worse than a tax collector. The Samaritans were pretty down there, pretty low. So they were kind of battling it out for who was the least in the society because people hated the tax collectors so much. 
If you got a call tomorrow from an auditor, an IRS auditor, do you want to talk to that person? No. Right? None of us want to. Nobody wanted to talk to the tax collector. But he come down out of the tree, and Jesus welcomed him gladly, and, and all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, man, who is this Jesus that he's going to be a guest with a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up, and I can almost see Zacchaeus just puffing his chest out. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, man, he's going to my house today. You know, this is Jesus. He's going to my house today. He's coming to my house. He's going to eat at my table. He's going to have dinner with me. People don't want to come to my house, but Jesus is coming to my house. And what happens? Zacchaeus says, after, you know, when they're eating, Zacchaeus says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's pretty amazing, right? And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Can you imagine, think with me for just a moment, how awesome would that be if people were getting saved at your dinner table? Or how awesome would it be if you got invited over to someone's house and you ended up winning them over to the Lord at their dinner table? You see, we've got to become radical socializers, amen? When Jesus came to the end of his ministry, he had one final meal with his disciples on the night before his death, and it was at this table that he told them as often as they eat and drink to remember him. Jesus wanted them to remember the suffering that he would go through for them. He wanted them to remember all the lessons that he had taught them. He wanted them to remember all the joyous occasions they had together. He wanted them to remember the table is a place of teaching. It's a place for communion with one another. It's a place of fellowship and it's a place of salvation amen last week we talked about living questionable lives where when people are around us they want to know why we act the way we do when it comes to the table there's no better way to do just that you see on the day that jesus died the veil that separated the holy of holies in the inner courts was ripped in two it was jesus's death that opened up the door to heaven so that all of us could enter in and converse with god our father amen think about it jesus began his ministry with turning water into wine He took the water that was used for purification, a symbol of separation, a symbol of exclusion, a symbol of religious piety. It tells us some are good and some are bad. It was a symbol of division. Jesus took that water and he changed it and he made it into something good. He made it into the best. Wine is the most fundamental symbol of inclusion. And then when he dies, three years later, the veil that represented all things was ripped open for all of us to enter into the throne room of God. Amen? No more separation. No more just the select few. No more religious piety. No more some good, some bad. But all of us can now go to the throne of God and we can worship him. Amen? That's something to rejoice in. That is something to rejoice in. So if you're struggling with addictions... You can go to the throne room, amen? 
If you're living in sin and you don't know where to go, you can go to the throne room. You can now go to the Holy of Holies. You can make your petitions known to God. He heals the brokenhearted. He heals the afflicted. He heals the lame, the sick, and the lost. And it's open now for anyone to come to the throne room of God. Jesus did that for you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. It's all about the table. At the table. You see, when Jesus died, he opened up that doorway for us to enter in. And now we can invite all of those sinners and and, uh, saved and unsaved to come in and we can feast around a table with them. We can make it to where we have opportunities to share with them who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives. We have to take advantage of those times. So I have a new challenge for you today. You know, the way we eat can be intriguing. Maybe some of the things you eat can be intriguing. <laughs> but we have to be, we have to refuse to be gluttons, refuse to be drunkards. We can, when we do that, we can model the character of God. We can foster community. We can surprise our guests with our table fellowship. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm calling you to foster the habit of eating with three people each week. You won't need to add a great deal into your often already busy schedule, right? Don't you already eat three times a day? That's 21 meals a a week. I'm simply asking that you bring another person to your table for for three of these, for three of those meals. Or if you want to cut corners, here you go, I'm giving you an out. You could bring three people to your table for one of those, right? Here's what I want you to do. Invite the unpopular. Invite the outcasts as well as your friends and work colleagues. Let's show the world what heaven will be like, amen? Jesus regularly used the illustration of a banquet to describe the kingdom. We can demonstrate this over a delicious meal with friends and soon-to-be friends. So this morning I want... I want us to take communion with one another. I want us to do what Jesus asked of us. I want us to remember him this morning and what he did for us. The worship team's going to come. Hopefully you've been all given a communion cup. If you need one, you can just raise your hand. We'll make sure you have one. And let me just say this. We believe in an open communion. We don't believe that you have to be a member of this church. We, we don't, all we ask is that you know, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't accepted Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. All over this place, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. You know, this is the time that we can come. And we can ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. Here's the prayer. Let's say this. Say, dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I confess that I need a Savior. Today I give my heart to you. Come into my life and make me clean. I want to serve you. I give my life to you. I am no longer my own. But I am yours in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, the scripture tells us, Paul was reminding us about communion. Can we all stand? If you can. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to tell you, I want you to look at the bread. You know, many people that have tasted these things are like, it don't taste good. You know why? There's nothing in this. It's perfect. It has no fillers. It has no extras. It has nothing that we process or nothing. It is just this. It's perfect. And that means that it's a perfect representation of Jesus' body. A perfect spotless lamb. And he went to the cross and he died. And so when we are partaking of this, just as when we invite people around our table, we should be remembering him. In everything that we do. I believe that it's important that we should pray and ask God, God, who should I invite to my table? Who should I invite to come over to eat? Who should I invite? You know, something that we've, all, that we've done before, before COVID, we always, anybody during Thanksgiving, if they didn't have some place to go, we were like, hey, come to our house. The, the uh, 2019, that year, we had a house full. We had, what, 18 people in our little house. Why? Because I don't want anybody to be left out. And we, we even had a guy for a long time that was in our church that we would take a Thanksgiving meal to. Why? Because it, there's something about the table. There's something about the table. When we invite people to come into the table, we can spend that time fellowshipping, show them the love, and letting them know just how perfect Jesus is. Sure, our life may not be perfect, and we have sins, and we have uh, uh, problems, and we have things that aren't going our way or aren't going the way they should go, but guess what? I serve a perfect Savior that can help me walk through every step of the way. And that's what this represents. This represents our perfect Savior. Let's pray over this bread. Lord, I pray right now for everyone that's here. That as we take this, Lord, we remember you. We remember you. That you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You're perfect in every way. And you did it for me. And so as I take this, this, this wafer, I am remembering you. I'm remembering what you did for me. And God, as I do that, I can share that with the people that I invite to my table. So that I can share that what you did in my life, you can do in their life. So God, I give you praise that we remember you today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take the bread.
this cup. The juice, wine, whatever you want to call it. It represents Christ's body, our blood. You see, when he went to the cross, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but on the cross, they placed a crown of thorns upon his head. They put a spear in his side. They put lashes across his back. They nailed his feet and his hands. You know why they did that? So the blood would cover from his head all the way to his feet. All of him was covered. He was completely covered. It was a complete sacrifice. And when he shed that blood, he shed it for us. You see, it's because of the blood that we can have eternal life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He shed the blood for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And that's why we do this. So when we drink this cup, we're not just drinking it so, hey, we had, a, we had, we had snacks in church today. <laughs> we do this because we're remembering what Jesus went through. We're remembering when he died on the cross. Let's pray. God, we just come to you right now. And I pray for everybody here, God, that they would remember what you went through. They would remember when you died on the cross. They would remember the blood that was shed that covered you from your head all the way to your feet, Lord. And so we're coming to you this morning and we are remembering, Lord God, the sacrifice that you made. That as you told your father before you went, Lord, if if there's any other way possible, take this cup from me. But if it's your will, then let your will be done. So as he went to the cross and he died... All the way up till his last breath, when he cried out, it is finished. That means that he had become the perfect sacrifice for us. And so, God, today we come before you and we drink this and we ask you to bless this. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's drink this cup. Hallelujah. I've asked Kent to sing. Can we all sing this song this morning? Hallelujah. Oh, blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as Hallelujah. God is so good. Amen.
God is so, so good. Y'all can be seated. Hallelujah. I uh, want to encourage you. I'm going to have our, here in a minute, as our, actually go ahead, if our ushers will come today, since we've got other things going on, I want to ask them to come. But I want to encourage you, make it a point to be here on Wednesday nights, if you can at all get here. Uh, hopefully, the, or as, the, as we, we're getting close to daylight, oh, was it daylight savings time starting? And, uh, you know, which means you'll get a, another hour of daylight, so it won't be as dark when you get here. And uh, so we want to encourage you. Let me tell you something. God is doing things around this altar area. We have a Bible study time, and we pray for needs just like we did this morning. This, what you saw this morning is going to be an addition to our services. We're, you're going to see it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I can start relinquishing some of my uh, responsibilities and, and duties. And, and as I do that, I'm, it's enabling me to study more and get more into the Word so that I can deliver you the, the best possible message. But let me just encourage you to be here on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Man, we're seeing God do some things. When we're seeing, uh, we're getting more and more people. I think we had, I don't know, 18 in here, plus all the boys and girls that were back there yesterday. Man, uh, the ladies, I heard good things about the ladies' uh, ministries. If, if y'all are missing ladies and men's, y'all need to come on those Saturdays. Uh, we try not to overwhelm y'all with stuff, but there are some things that, that are great times, great opportunities for you to fellowship and to uh, be a part of our services. So, uh, David, will you please pray over this offering? Yes. Amen. As they are collecting your uh, offerings this morning and your tithes,